So as you're taking your seats this morning, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them to the book of Genesis. We are, we are beginning our study back in the book of Genesis. Um, if you remember last week, we took a, a week's break to talk about um, our challenge sermon for our, our church as a whole. And so we talked about the feeding of the 5,000 and the challenge for all of us to uh, really get involved and be a part of all the things that God uh, is doing here. And so um, really want to just throw that out there again. I don't want that to be just a sermon uh, for our church, but I want that to be a part of who we are as a church family, that that would be a part of our DNA, that we would all uh, see ourselves as participants in God's mission. And so that's what we covered last week. But uh, previous to that, we were in Genesis chapter 32. And if you remember uh, what was going on in Genesis chapter 32, we see that Jacob is heading back to the land of his father. And he has a great fear that is overtaking him. And the fear that he has is his own brother, uh, Esau. Jacob remembers that the last time that he had a conversation with Esau, things didn't go so well. And Esau had basically made him the guarantee that if I ever see you again, I'm going to take your life from you. And so when God approaches uh, Jacob and tells him it's time to return home to the land of your father, he knows that he's got a major, major problem on his hand in the form of his brother. And so uh, he goes and starts his journey with, with a great amount of anxiety and a great amount of fear. And if you remember, he has this uh, face-to-face encounter with God. Now, the Bible tells us that Jacob actually wrestles with God. And in this unbelievable moment, Jacob is ultimately encouraged by the provision of God. And God reminds Jacob of the calling that he's had on his life and that everything is going to be okay. He, he sets him straight. He says, there's no need to fear uh, what's coming up next. No need to fear your, your brother Esau because I'm in control of all things. And so that's kind of uh, summarizing chapter 32. Well, we have the tall task this morning of covering chapters 33 through 35. And I'm already seeing some people going, oh my goodness, that's no, no math genius here, but uh, that's three whole chapters. So here's what I promise you this morning. We will not cover every single detail in these three chapters. I'm going to leave some of that as homework for you, and I would very much so encourage you to go back, read all of these chapters in their full context, because it will give us a much better understanding of what's going on here. But my goal this morning is to simply catch us up to speed and hit the, the major themes in these three chapters of Scripture. So um, to summarize the beginning of chapter 33 real fast, I just want to say that Jacob finally gets his opportunity to meet his brother Esau face to face. And he takes this opportunity to give Esau many gifts. Remember, the plan was he's going to shower him with all kinds of livestock and animals and, and gifts to try to get on Esau's good side. And that's primarily what we see happening in chapter 33 is his final opportunity to meet with his brother face to face. And scripture tells us that the meeting actually goes pretty well. 
Jacob uh, encounters Esau, and Esau actually forgives Jacob, and they're able to uh, make up. And if you read in verses uh, 12, chapter 33, verse 12, you see an interesting uh, conversation transpire. It says, then Esau said, let us take our journey and go, and we will go before you. So Esau says, hey, now that we've uh, reconciled our relationship with one another, now that, now that we're close brothers again, and we've put all of those things in the past uh, behind us, how about we continue on together as one big family? And that's what he's basically telling Jacob in, in, in verse 12 there. And Jacob begins to respond with all kinds of excuses. And what is one of the things that we know about Jacob? Jacob just cannot help himself. He always turns to deceit and deception in, in every opportunity that he has, right? And so he takes this as an opportunity again to come up with many, many excuses to his brother as to why they can't continue on together instead of just being open and honest with him from the beginning. And really what it begins to do is it sets up this idea of here we go again. Jacob, this man who's just wrestled and met with God face to face, who's just experienced the blessing of God in the reconciliation of his relationship with his brother, and he can't even finish this conversation with his brother before going back to some of his old deceptive ways. And so it really just kind of kicks off this whole story with this idea of here we go again. And really, before we jump into this and explain it more, I want to let you know that Jacob will come up again in the book of Genesis. Uh, but after chapter 35 Genesis, uh, of Genesis, uh, Jacob is no longer the main character of our narrative. It switches to his sons. And so this morning, what I would like for us to do is I would like for us to uh, hit the high level things in these three chapters. And we're going to take a look at four lessons that we can learn from the life of Jacob as we take a final uh, look into this patriarch's life. So pray with me this morning and then we will jump into the text. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we just ask that you would be with us this morning. God, that you would guide this message. Father, there is so much going on in your word in these chapters. God, things that are, that are important. But Lord, I pray that for the purposes of this morning, God, that you would give me the words that need to be said. Father, we ask that you would challenge us. God, I pray that you would, that you would speak to each and every one of us in this room this morning as individuals. God, where I'm general, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be very specific God, that every single person would leave this room today challenged and encouraged and more grateful for the relationship that they have for you, God, and more grateful for what you've done on our behalf. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I said this morning, I want us to take a, a quick overview of, of little uh, portions of our story here, and we're going to take a deeper dive into four lessons that we can learn from the life of Jacob. So the first lesson that we're going to look at this morning, you will find in Genesis chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. So read along with me, 
Genesis 33, 18 through 20. This is immediately following uh, Jacob's meeting with Esau. He told Esau that he cannot continue to journey with him. And so we pick up in verse 18. It says, now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And when he came from Paddan Aram and camped before the city, he bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamer. Shechem's father for 100 pieces of money. Verse 20, then he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. All right, so the first lesson that we're going to look at this morning is this. Apart from God, our natural inclination is towards sin and compromise. Apart from God, our natural inclination is actually towards sin and compromise. We don't naturally gravitate or float towards the holiness of God. In our flesh, we naturally uh, go away from it. And if you're uh, wondering right now, what in the world has Jacob done in these couple verses here that would lead us to this point? You see, you have to understand here that God's call on Jacob's life from the very beginning, what kicks off this journey is God's expectation on Jacob to not only return to the land of his father, but God has instructed him to return to Bethel. And Shechem is one day's journey short of where God told Jacob he should return to. And so it's not some kind of major thing, it doesn't seem like in the storyline that, that this is going on, that Jacob would choose to stop in Shechem, but, but Shechem is not where Jacob is supposed to be. Jacob is supposed to be at Bethel. If you remember, Bethel was known for being a barren land. Right? Not a lot of good things going on there in Bethel. But Shechem, on the other hand, now Shechem was a place of liveliness. It was a, it was a place of, of fruitfulness. And so um, it intrigued Jacob. Uh, so much so that he decided, you know what? I think this is as far as I'm going to go. We'll just set up shop here. And we can see that he sets up shop there because it says that he doesn't just pitch his tent for a short stay to continue on to Bethel, but in fact, what does he do? It says that he buys a piece of land and then he eventually erects an altar there. So Jacob is saying, this is as far as we're going to go. He's decided to set up shop here. And like I said, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it is sin and compromise nonetheless. And it is a theme that we've seen throughout the life of Jacob. It's a theme that we've even seen uh, in our own lives. We all in this room know this uh, lesson to be true, that apart from the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our natural tendencies are are to go towards our fleshly desires. They're to go towards sin and compromise and not towards God. I think the most important things for us to understand in this uh, lesson to be learned here is that not that, that uh, we would never find ourselves in this place. You see, even those of us who have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ must never forget that this is still a part of who we are. This side of heaven we are still capable of all kinds of terrible sin and terrible compromise if we are not walking in the Spirit. 
If we are not being fully obedient to whatever it is that God's called us to, we can, like Jacob, find ourselves right back in this place. And like I said, the biggest thing here is not that we would find ourselves in this place because we're occasionally going to fall, right? We're we're occasionally going to sin. We're occasionally going to find ourselves in places of compromise. The bigger thing here is that we would understand that it's not as much about uh, getting to this place as staying in this place. This is a place that we cannot stay To be reminded that apart from God, our natural inclination is towards sin and compromise. And Jacob, he's not only actively sinning against what God says, but he's setting up shop to stay here. So again, it's not about us never sinning, but it's more about us staying there. The, The picture of biblical repentance is important here, right? We all know that we are gonna fall short of God's glory on on occasion. Uh, So it's not so much the falling down, but it's the getting back up. It's the continuing on in our relationship with Christ. It's It's the going to the altar of grace and repentance. And true biblical repentance is not just asking God to forgive us of the bad things that we've done. Repentance is an about face. It's a turning from what we're doing and going in the other direction. So biblical repentance is a picture of not staying in our sin. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that because of the work of Christ in our lives that we have been freed from the bondage of sin and death. The, the, the Bible in the New Testament paints a picture uh, of, of sin before our relationship with Jesus Christ as, as, as being uh, our slave master, right? The Bible tells us that it's like a prison, there's nothing we can do. It's a, it's a cell that we're captive to. It's, it's a prison cell that we can't get out of with the bars and windows. But once we start our relationship with Christ, we are now free from the bondage of sin and death. So again, it's not a picture of never getting to this place. It's an understanding as believers that this side of heaven, we will find ourselves in this place. But the most important thing that we can do is not set up shop in this place. That we must be about repentance, biblical repentance, turning from our ways. It's the, it's the idea of, of staying in that prison cell that we once were, were uh, prisoners in, but with no bars on the doors and no bars on the windows. I mean, think about that for a second. The Bible tells us that in our relationship with Christ, that when we have been freed from the bondage of sin and death, that we no longer have to go back there. We no longer have to stay there. But for so many of us, we do. We just kind of throw up our hands with this idea that, you know, what can I do? I'm a sinner. But that goes against what the New Testament teaches us, that we're no longer slaves to that sin. And if we stay there and we just throw our hands up and say, what can we do? We're we're simply just sinners. It's the picture of us willingly staying inside a jail cell with no bars on the windows and no bars on the doors. We're the only thing that's keeping ourselves there. In fact, it's not even God's plan for our lives that we would stay there. So the biggest thing for us to learn here is that as we grow and we learn in our relationship with Jesus Christ, that our walk with with Jesus is not about becoming sinless, but it is about sinning less. The idea is that we are growing 
in our relationship with Christ. And it's something that uh, it's so easy to look at Jacob's life and, 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 and throw stones and go, seriously? Are you kidding me? We're right back here again. You know, if you're a parent or grandparent in the room, it kind of reminds me of a relationship with your kids, right? How many times have you had to revisit uh, the same issue with, with one of your children over and over again? And guess what? You may go through a season when you think, man, they're really starting to get it. We haven't dealt with that in a long, long time. And then guess what? It pops up again. And your first inclination is to think, are you serious? Are we really back at this place? But it's a powerful, powerful picture of our relationship with Christ and his patience towards us as his sons and his daughters, that we're in the same boat. How many times has God had to do business with us for the same sins over and over again? So it's, it's good for us to remember this in this lesson. So lesson number one, apart from God, our natural inclination is towards sin and compromise. That's why it's so important that we stay walking in the spirit. Lesson number two, jump over to chapter 34, verses 25 through 31. Genesis 34, 25 through 31. It says, now it came about on the third day when they were in pain that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed Hamer and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. And Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all of their wealth and all of their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land. Among the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the men being few, few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me and I will be destroyed, I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? All right, so the second lesson that we have here in this group of, of texts is number two. Our sin and compromise has an impact on those around us. Our sin and compromise has an impact on those around us. Now, I need to give you a little bit of, of context here uh, for this one because we picked up in verse 25. So uh, what we're going to see here in this chapter is that Jacob's initial sin and compromise to, fall, uh, to camp short of where God called him to be at has now led to all kinds of terrible things happening in his family. Because of his decision to set up shop here in Shechem, He's now put his family in a very compromised position. The very people that God has instructed them to not have any part of, they're now hanging out with. They're now doing business with. And as a result of their relationship with the city of Shechem, some terrible things have begun to happen. And Shechem, Hamer's son, who the city's named after here, takes notice of Jacob's daughter, Dinah. And the scripture tells us that he defiles her. So he takes her into himself before they are ever married and creates a terrible, terrible act and a terrible, terrible situation. And the Bible tells us that not only 
has Jacob decided to camp out here in Shechem, but when Jacob hears news of what's happened to his daughter Dinah, he really responds by doing nothing. The Bible tells us that he stays quiet on the matter. And in his silence, his two sons decide that something needs to be done on behalf of our sister in the situation. So Simeon and Levi go to Hamer and Shechem, and they ask them to consider marriage with Dinah. And they said that they would do that in order to join their two families together. But Simeon and Levi, they come up with a plan, a plan of deceit. I wonder where they learned such deception from. Maybe their own father, Jacob, but they come up with this plan to deceive the whole city. So they tell them, in order for you guys to get married, first you must be circumcised. All the men in the city must be circumcised if we're to join our families together. So the city agrees to it. Hamer agrees to it. So he has all the men in the city circumcised so that they can join the two families together and that Dinah can be married to his son, Shechem. And while healing from this process is where we picked up in verse 25, it says, now on the third day when they were in pain, the two sons, they went into the city and they killed every male and they looted the city and took from it what they wanted. So you have this terrible, terrible situation of Jacob's daughter, Dinah, being defiled, and now Simeon and Levi taking matters into their own hands and committing their own unspeakable acts of deception and murder and chaos within this city. And it provides us with this powerful lesson here that our sin and compromise has an impact on those around us. You see, Jacob's original sin and compromise has now led to more sin and more compromise in the next generation. The multitude of small things, beginning with his choice to stay in Shechem, have now led to where they find themselves today. Dinah experiencing what she has, and now Simeon and Levi committing unbelievable acts of murder. And while we know that Simeon and Levi are ultimately responsible for their own actions, and they will be held accountable for those actions, by the way. We'll pick that up a little bit later in the book of Genesis. So God's not going to turn a blind eye to what they've done. There are consequences coming for them and what, what they've done. But we, but we must see how Jacob fits in to this terrible situation. See, Jacob is not leading and not doing what God has called him to do, and his sin and his compromise is now having an impact on those that are around him. And we know this to be true. The closer that we are to somebody, the greater the impact our own personal sin and compromise will have on them, right? So they are becoming like their father, whether they like it or not. It's an interesting thing, you know, for so many of us, uh, show of hands, how many of you have at some point in your life 
kind of made a, a commitment, like there's some things that, about my parents that I'm, I'm never gonna do. Anybody else other than me? Like you're like, those things about mom and dad, I'm never, I'm never gonna be like them in that area, right? Uh, until you're like them in that area one day, right? Has anybody had that experience yet where, where you're like in the middle of doing something and you realize like I am my father, okay? Uh, even if my intentions were to not do some things or to even do something, see there's, some things that my dad uh, did that I want to aspire to that oftentimes I fall short of. And there's other things that, that my dad uh, would even willingly admit that he did that he would never want us to do that I find myself doing. So uh, when we spend time with people, we can't help but become like them. I remember the first time that it happened to me uh, was some years ago. I'm standing in my living room, and I'm clearly upset about something else. Uh, those of us that have gone, been going through love and respect, we talk about when the issue's not really the issue, and I'm, I'm upset about something else, and I'm, I'm standing in our living room, and, and I'm just, I'm frustrated, and I'm, I'm just hollering, and I don't even know what I'm frustrated about anymore at this point, but I look down, and in the middle of my living room is just a giant pile of shoes, Shoes everywhere. And in that moment, just like that, I just, I just yell out, and whose shoes are these? Why do I have tennis shoes in my living room? And in my fury and frustration, it occurs to me in that moment that I am my father. I was always wondering, like, what, what is it with the shoes? What is it with the stuff being left in the living room? What is it with all these things? And it took me becoming a father myself and being put in the same situation for me to understand that, man, I am more like that man than I would ever think or imagine, both in the good and bad. The same thing's true here in the life of Jacob. You see, the lesson that we've learned throughout his entire lifetime and the lesson that he's now learning firsthand is that his own personal sin and compromise doesn't just impact himself, but it has a significant impact on those around him. His children are becoming like him whether they want to or not. Reminds me of the progressive insurance commercials. I don't know if you guys have seen those before, but the becoming like your parents commercials are hilarious. My favorite one is when the guy's in the, uh, like the home improvement store and he just starts randomly giving advice and the guy there is trying to help him. He goes, uh, no, no, he didn't ask. He didn't ask for your help. Just stick to you. But it's so true that we become like our parents. So for those of us in the room that are followers of Christ, know this, that we're never going to be able to set a perfect example for our children. We've not been asked to. That example was set for them by Jesus Christ. And it's our job to point them in that direction of every time you're looking for the perfect example, go the way of Jesus. But God has tasked us with being the primary disciple makers of our families. And we have a generation that is watching and they are going to become like us whether we want them to or not. So what we have to be mindful of is that our personal sin and our compromise has an impact on those 
around us and to remember that we are at all times making disciples. At all times making disciples. It just depends on what kind of disciples we're making through the attitudes and actions of our lives. But when we do fall short, let me just say this to add on to that. One of the most powerful things that my father would do anytime that he would fall short in front of my mother or my brothers was he would come to us and he would own up to it and he would apologize and he would remind us that his desire and aspiration is to be more like Jesus. He just wasn't there yet. And so for moms and dads in the room, let me just encourage you with that part. Even when you fall short, you can still set an incredible example for your kids by pointing them back to Jesus in those moments. Lesson number three. Let's jump to chapter 35, verse one through four. It said, then God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. So the third lesson that we see here in the text is that God loves his children too much to leave them unchecked and unchanged. God loves his children too much to leave them unchecked and unchanged. This is my favorite part of this whole story. If you recall, we all know that Jacob has failed a lot of times. In fact, he just had one of the biggest spiritual highs of his entire life, and now he finds himself in this terrible, terrible place. But this is my favorite part because of the fact that God initiates this meeting with Jacob. Jacob is settled in Shechem. His, his family has gone completely crazy. He's now been here for some time. And see, this is what I love about God. I love that God is patient with us. God doesn't always just show up and immediately correct us for things. He's patient with us so that he can bring us to a place of repentance. But God will not let us stay there forever. And that's what I love about this portion of the scripture. In verse one, it says, then God says to Jacob, you guys know the story of the prodigal son, the father at home and the wayward child returning. And and as he sees him afar off, he runs to him. It's kind of a picture of that, but even more so in reverse, right? This picture is of one of the wayward son where Jacob is off doing his own thing. He knows what God's called him to do. In fact, I would even go so far as to say, I think he knows that he's not where God has told him to be. But God's not gonna let him stay there. And it's God who initiates the conversation with Jacob. And God goes to Jacob, and I see this as one of those moments where God just doesn't come in heavy-handed with Jacob, but more of an arm-around-you kind of moment where God shows up and he says, listen, 
I know you've got a lot of stuff going on. And I know that a lot of things are broken and messed up. And you're not where you're supposed to be with your relationship with me right now. But Jacob, it's now time. And so God comes in and he puts his arm around Jacob and he says, it's time to go. It's time for you to put this stuff behind you. It's time for you to reconcile your relationship with me again. It's time for you, Jacob, to go to Bethel. And I love the heart of repentance here. When God shows up and he checks Jacob, Jacob responds with immediate repentance. They collect all the foreign idols and they collect the earrings in the ear and all the things that represent the life that God has not called them to. And he says he buries them under the tree and they take off for Bethel. It's just a powerful reminder of us this morning that God loves his children too much to leave them unchecked and unchanged. If you find yourself in that position today, maybe you feel far from God. Listen, I promise you that God will not let you stay there. If you're going down a path of disobedience, a path of sin, a path of compromise, you're turning your back on what God's calling you to do, God loves you too much to let you continue down that path for too long. God's gonna show up, and what I love about God is the first time it's gentle. But God will get your attention. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're out doing things that don't represent God, and you're out sinning and compromising, doing things that you know that you shouldn't be, God will not let you stay there. And that, that gentle arm around you moment will quickly become God getting a stick to get your attention. And he'll go get a bigger one if he needs to. But that's not because God doesn't love you. It's quite the opposite. It's because God loves you that much that he can't let you stay there. It's like a parent to a child, that I love you too much to let you continue doing what you're doing. I can't let you go down that path any longer. So again, if you find yourself here today, remember that God convicts and God gets your attention to lead to restoration. God will seek you out and not allow you to keep going down that path of sin. But I also wanna remind you this morning that if you feel condemnation, that that's not from the Father. See, for some of you in the room, you're so far down that path that you're might maybe even wondering this morning, have I gone too far? What do I do now? I'm supposed to be a follower of Christ, but I've messed things up so bad and I've gone down a path that I shouldn't so far that I don't know if I can come back. And you feel condemnation for that. Let me just remind you that Romans 8.1 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the enemy who tells you that God doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. It's the enemy that tells you that you've done too much or you've fallen too far for God to love you anymore. It's the enemy that makes you wonder what others are going to see and say about you and what they're going to think. But it's God who brings about conviction in order to restore 
your relationship with him. He loves you too much to leave you unchecked and unchanged. And I love this about God, that he shows up in the middle of Jacob's life and in the middle of Jacob's mess, and he says, enough is enough, Jacob. It's time for you to go to Bethel. And Jacob has a choice in that moment. Jacob could decide that I've done too much and I've messed up too much and you don't want anything to do with me, God, and throwing a pity party for himself right there. Or Jacob could do what God was asking him to do and repent on the spot and turn from what he was doing and turn in the direction of what God was calling him to do. And Jacob responds in biblical repentance and he buries the idols and he packs up his stuff and they head to Bethel. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture for us. That God loves us too much to leave us unchecked and unchanged. Fourth and final lesson. We'll be done this morning. Fourth and final lesson. Genesis 35 verses 9 through 15. It says, then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and he blessed him. And God, does, God said to him, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. And God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I'm going to give it to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. So the fourth and final lesson that we see in this text this morning is this, is that our assurance is found in God and not ourselves. Our assurance is found in God and not ourselves. I love this about God. God not only shows up to Jacob, God not only puts his arm around Jacob and says, listen, I know you've messed up. I know you've done some terrible things. It's time to get back to business. It's time to go back to Bethel. But God also takes this moment to remind Jacob that he's still moving forward with the plan. You ever thought about this for a second? If you were God, what would you have done in this situation? It's a good thing that I'm not. Because I look at the story like, you know what? If I was God in this moment, I would be so frustrated with Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. I, at this point, I think I'd be like, okay, that's it. I want a new plan. I want a new guy. I want a new family. I'm, I'm tired of this. All I'm asking you to do is just faithfully and obediently follow after me and look what you keep doing. And I'm done with you. But the good news of this story is that's not how God deals with Jacob. And that's not how God deals with me and you. God shows up to Jacob and he reminds him that I'm gonna make something out of you. Not because you've earned it and not because you deserve it. And not because you've even done all the right things to make it happen. But I'm going to make a nation out of you because I'm God Almighty. And I'm going to keep my covenant for my own name's sake. And it's a powerful reminder here for us that our assurance is found in God and not ourselves. And I am so grateful not only in this story about God making a nation and forming it and creating this nation of Israel, but the same thing is true when we talk about our own personal salvation. 
that our assurance is found in God and not ourselves. And man, I am so thankful. Any of you thankful that your salvation today isn't dependent upon you? We often talk about the fact that we're never good enough to save ourselves. Guess what? We're also not good enough to keep ourselves saved. But that's the good news of the Bible, that that's not my job. And I can rest in the assurance of my salvation, not because of Jeremy, and not because of what Jeremy's going to do or not going to do, but I can rest in what God has already done. And the beautiful picture that Jeremy's gonna stand before God Almighty one day, and he's not gonna have changed his mind about me. There'll never be a moment where he says, man, I thought you were worth saving at the beginning, but as you kept going, it just got worse and worse, and I don't know about you now. It's never the case with God. I wasn't worth saving the first time. And it's only by God's grace and his love and his mercy towards us that we can experience that salvation. And for all of us in this room, it's a good reminder that our assurance of that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and not ourselves. So this morning, as we prepare for a time of response, I simply just want to ask you, where are you at right now? Where are you at right now this morning, church family? Are you a person that maybe you just need to be reminded this morning that it's not so much about messing up because you're going to mess up and you're going to fall short, but it's about getting back up. It's about repenting. It's about dusting yourself off and continuing to follow Jesus Christ every single day. And for some of you, maybe you're in the room this morning and you're, you would just say, listen, I'm to a point in my life now where I would say without a doubt that I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But, but honestly, I'm so far, so far down the path of sin and compromise that I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even know if God would want me anymore. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that is from the enemy, that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And his greatest desire for you is that you would have a deep and loving relationship with him. And it's as simple as doing the one thing that you don't want to do. It's coming down and admitting where you're at and asking God to forgive you of all the things that you've got piling up all the junk and in a moment you're immediately back in right relationship with Christ it's the one thing that God offers us as followers of his we don't have to worry about losing our salvation and we can have immediate forgiveness for what we've done for some of you in the room maybe you need to give your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time if you've come to the conclusion the last couple of weeks through the reading of God's word that you don't know Jesus, my challenge to you this morning is during the invitation, come speak with myself or Pastor Travis. We would love to talk to you about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you just need to come down here and you need to use the front here as an altar. Maybe you've got some things that you do need to pray about and repent of. 
lay them at the feet of Jesus again. If you'd like to pray with us, we'll be down here to pray with you as well. Let me pray this morning. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I, I thank you for the challenge from it. God, I pray that you will let us never forget, God, that while we're freed from the bondage of sin, God, this flesh still wages war against us. This side of heaven, we're never going to be perfect, God, but our desire is to walk in a way that honors you. God, for those of us in this room, God, that have gone too far down that path and we just don't know how to come back, God, I pray that you would break hearts this morning and just show people that it's as simple as one prayer, God, that you're ready and you're waiting to put your arm around somebody again this morning. God, move in very specific ways today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.